Hello and welcome back to The Blend Sessions with me, Theo van den Bruke. For our final conversation of the series, we spoke to two of the most important photographers working in Britain today, Derek Ridges and Nina Menander. Both of these artists have worked across documentary, publishing and history, combining them to create something very new in British photography. Ridges learned his trade in London's fledgling punk scene before immersing himself in a succession of British subcultures as a music and documentary photographer. The skinheads, new romantics, Balearic and club scenes were all shot by Ridges, usually before anyone else realised their importance or how they were connected. Menanda honed her craft on the streets of East London, variously working as a fanzine maker, documentarian and youth mentor before combining these skills and reinventing herself as an archivist and folk historian. This resulted in her internationally acclaimed book and exhibition, What We Wore, a history of Britain's street style bringing together thousands of ordinary people's pictures, clothes and memories. Between them, the pair have probably done more than anyone to document the unique way in which young British people from different backgrounds combine ideas and express themselves. I must confess I was new to the work of both these photographers um, and I found their approach to the work they produce inspiring and illuminating, um, as I'm sure you will too. So sit back and enjoy Derek Ridges and Nina Menanda in conversation with Shivas Regal's Scotch Whiskey in our final episode of The Blend Sessions. First up, I guess, uh, Derek, moving into photography, and maybe I have a kind of, being an editor and knowing how photographers work these days, um, that must have been a very brave move. Not really, um, because um, getting the sack does focus the mind a little bit, you know, because I got sacked quite a few times. And um, by the 1980, I'd been in the business 10 years and not really got very far. This is the advertising uh, business. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a bit, little bit like Mad Men, but without the suits and all the sex, you know. <laughs> Apart from that, it was exactly the same. Uh, but it was a little bit madder as well um, in some respects. But I felt that my career wasn't going anywhere you know, I was 30, and um, if you don't really make it by the time you're 30, or at least start to make it by the time you're 30 in the advertising business, really, you need to be thinking about something else, and that's what I was doing. And, you know, I hedged my bets for the first year, as I, I mentioned to you earlier, and uh, did a bit of freelance advertising work. Uh, but my, um, you know, career seemed to take off quite quickly as a photographer. Your first collection of photographs was shown in the ICA. Yes, that's right. This was 78 whilst there was still an art director. You know, um, I just thought it was beginner's luck that, you know, I think there were about 30 photos in that show of punks that I'd just taken. And I just wasn't sure whether I'd ever take 30 decent photographs again. Not that I'm saying those 30 were particularly decent. I thought they were good at the time. Looking back, I think some of them were a little bit, you know, maybe not so good. And then I came across the New Romantics, or the nascent New Romantics, in Billy's in 78. And they struck me as being a little bit similar to the punks, but, you know, a little bit more um, prepared to dress up a bit more, you know. And um, in, in some respects, the New Romantics were, um, you know, the opposite of the punks. Yeah. Um, after that, I started to photograph the skinheads. That was accidental. And, yeah, I had a show uh, in 1980 of um, skinheads and also interviews. Um, and that was the, the year I was just eased out of the advertising business. So, 
so you know, you've been working that whole time in advertising. Yes, all these. and I was doing doing it as a uh, complete amateur, someone that didn't really know what I was doing at all. Um, I just did it as it, you know, I happened to see people uh, take a few snaps. That's all it was. I didn't have a professional attitude at all but at that point. What do you think it was that people saw in your work? Because there must have been something that... that I, I think I can the... say, say what it was. It wasn't my work. It was the people that were was in my work. They wanted to see that. Right. You see, when I was photographing punks, the pe people were interested in punks. Mm. And um, then I was photographing the new romantics. People were interested in them. And they were then interested in skinheads and the other people I photographed. I don't think they were ever really interested in my work. You know, because I started working for the face um, by about issue five or six. But it took them, the face, the guys at the face, a couple of years before they commissioned me to do anything. I had to initially just take the photographs and take them in and see if they wanted to use them. It was handy that the face office, when they started, was a minute and a half walk away from my office in yeah. the middle of Soho. Yeah. yeah, so you could just kind of hound them and <laughs> just hang out. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Nina, how, how do you relate to that? Because obviously you've kind of started doing something similar, but with a very different slant at a different time. How have you negotiated kind of your route into photography? I guess in a weird way, it's quite similar. My background, before I was doing photography, or for about five or six years, I used to co-run a youth magazine um, uh, called The Cut. Um, we used to work with young people from all over London. So it was like a, they, it was a collaborative magazine. They kind of... Um, we'd brainstorm it together and so I was kind of having grown up in London I was very engaged in London youth culture so in a weird way it came out of my everyday um my interest in photography and subcultures and style and that was something that I'd done ongoing I've always kind of been quite project-based I'm a photographer but I kind of I'm primarily a photographer but I'm kind of inspired by style and youth culture and I think it was quite organic and I was I was coming into contact with lots of interesting subcultures and youth cultures through that work I was doing um, and that made it easier for me to kind of shoot and document the, the worlds that I was... Um, was that mostly commissioned work or was that stuff that you were that kind was, of doing off your own back? That was more self-initiated work. Yeah. I think Derek's talking about when he was stopped working in advertising, it sounds like you'd go out and you'd go to clubs and you'd go to places and you'd just shoot off your own back because you're interested and that it's that kind of, not self-taughtness, but I think that gives you a different angle maybe to other kinds of photographers because you just want to go out, you're just curious, you want to go out to those places, you want to see and, and find out about those people. And I think it's that, that same kind of spirit that comes from being self-taught as opposed to trained. I guess it's interesting as well, because that, that curiosity, how that translates into what is effectively, translates into what is effectively quite a voyeuristic act. The way you photograph Derek seems to be more kind of portrait, and you, you're engaging with the subject, kind of eyes on eyes kind of thing, and Nina, yours is more reportage, you're kind of taking thing, pictures of things as, almost as if you stumble upon them. How do you negotiate with your subject in both those scenarios? Well, the negotiation part is part of the fun of it, I think, really, because um, sometimes when I started, I did have to work up a little bit of gumption to go up to people, because I essentially I'm quite a shy guy, you know, and... Um, I quite enjoyed the sense of confrontation. I mean, not always. Sometimes with the skinheads, the confrontation got a little bit too real. But um, Tell us about one of those times. Well, uh, <laughs> the whole time I was photographing the skinheads, um, 
I must have had a guardian angel on my shoulder, honestly, because some of the, the guys that were, um, had, had it in for me were not nice people by any means. I used to turn up in a beard, glasses and a duffel coat, and that's the uniform of the lefty, or it was in the <laughs> 70s anyway. Uh, they thought I was a lefty, and in actual fact they were very accurate. I was a lefty, in fact. In those days I was a Labour Party activist, you know. And uh, I used to keep a lot of that down. Unless they actually asked me about it, I'd keep quiet. I wouldn't lie because, you know, people can see right through that very quickly. You know, um, skinheads don't want to be patronised. And, um, but I, I didn't offer them necessarily opinions. I like Derek, I like that engagement. Some photographers don't really like to engage with their subjects. Or guess even using the word subject is kind of it puts a distance between you and the person that you're photographing. If you engage with someone more like a person and you actually want to find out a bit more about them, um, it's kind of different. Mm. I don't know, I, I like the... One of the reasons I like street photography, although I don't do as much now, my work is quite rooted in street photography, I like, I like that chance encounter and that being able to kind of go into somebody else's world. I think the camera is a tool. I guess if you hadn't had a camera, you might not have been able to go into those places. I wouldn't do it, no. You know, you, you just would have got beaten up straight. Oh, no camera. But I think the camera enables you to kind of go into different worlds, to meet different people and to kind of... Is that because people are intrigued by it or because well, just they because understand why, how else, why else are you there? Yeah. You know, you might go into... A camera can, has taken me all different places all over the world and all, to different places on my doorstep, which I would never be able to walk into. It's a kind of... It's a social tool and that's, that's what I really like about it. And there are... I mean, I... There are times where people have been like, oh, give me your camera, I'm going to rip up that film. Um, but usually I think if you, if you judge and have a kind of gauge and conversation with your subject, not that you always have to, I think that you can, that they're complicit in what you're doing, then it's a, I think it's a better, get for a better picture. Do you think there's a certain personality type that does what you two do better than others, for instance? That, you know, do you have to be a certain way in order to kind of, because I know personally I would not, cope with that. <laughs> I wouldn't cope with the fear, I wouldn't cope with the kind of... Oh, I've always been a little bit on the outside looking in, you know, really, in any um, social group. I'm always on the edge, watching what's going on. You know, even in my own family at Christmas sometimes. <laughs> no one's talking to me. But, um, yeah, I suppose my photographs are a result of how I am, I think, really. I'm not macho at all. I'm not the alpha male sort by any means. So if I walk into a pub full of real hard case characters, they don't see me as a threat. And if I've got a camera, that gives me some sort of legitimacy. Mm. I can go up to them. But it is quite interesting um, if you um, point a camera right up in the face of somebody, a real hard case, say a biker, for instance, you start at a, a moment to see a certain vulnerability there and I think that's quite interesting it's very um, photogenic I think wouldn't you agree yeah I guess also there's probably people would probably respond to us as a as quite a, a woman and a, a bigger man a small woman they probably respond to us quite differently and there's that's probably something that I probably wouldn't ever I probably get I probably wouldn't get a bad response I probably wouldn't be beaten up I probably could get away with it I think sometimes it's about knowing what you can get away with and having that confidence I think, like, there's definitely, um, uh, for me, there's that sense of voyeurism. There's also that social engagement and wanting to engage with people. It's that sort of double-edged sword, which I find really interesting about 
this kind of photography. Yeah, you want to kind of, you almost immerse yourself in that world, for me anyway, uh, you kind of engage, but it's almost like you go to a party, but you've got no pressure to like be nice to everybody and laugh at everyone's jokes. You can just like be invisible. Okay. And that's quite what I quite like about it, but also you can enjoy the social aspect of it. Derek, what's, what's the, um, the kind of subculture, or for want of a better term, um, scene that you've most enjoyed being involved with? When I was in my mid-teens, I would have liked to have been a mod. Uh, but I wasn't quite old enough. Um, at 15, I never had any money. My parents never had any money, so I couldn't have bought a scooter. And um, after that, I tried for a short while to be a skinhead, but... Having glasses, it doesn't really help, you know. Um, I like the look, the short jeans and the boots and the braces and Ben Sherman's and stuff like that. I liked it, but I didn't really have my heart and soul in, in it. So after that, I became a kind of stay-at-home hippie for a bit. You know, I grew my hair. Uh, my dad didn't like that, so then went back to having very short hair. I mean, I think quite a lot of these things I would have quite liked to have been a part of. I mean, I think the skinheads were the most interesting, but somebody asked me the other day which was the greatest uh, British sub-cult, and I think I would have to say the mods, really. Why's that? Well, because that was British. It was, um, although they were using um, themes that came from abroad, it was a very British thing. And the Teddy Boys weren't really British. I mean, it was just copying what was going on in the US, and the same really goes for the beatniks as well. Um, the mods were British, and I suppose the skinheads were as well, and the new romantics. I could never have been a, a new romantic. I think I would have been too gormless looking to be a, <laughs> a, a new romantic. You know, you, I think you'd have to be slender and, you know, have a, you know, you'd be a bit nicer looking, really. <laughs> Um, you, you were talking to me actually about very interesting sounding global subculture and Morocco. Oh yeah, I just um, I think it was a there's I don't know how big the subculture I mean, is. I'm not saying that you'd be part of it because it's Botswana women who dress in biker leathers. Um, They're pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Like, you, how did you a how did you find out about that? B have you kind of been to kind of investigate further? And... Um, I don't know so much about that, but I yeah. guess the last few years I've been to West Africa, I've been to um, Dakar um, in Senegal and to Lagos in Nigeria. And I think it's quite interesting what's going on globally. I think it's what Derek is saying about um, mods and Britishness and that kind of idea about there being these really distinctly British youth cultures. I think that's very much like that's how things have been. I think for me, the most exciting things now are the kind of emerging hybrids and blends of cultures that you're getting. And you see, you see that happening less in the UK and more. I think it's happening globally, but I think that the heyday of this is saddens me to say. I think the heyday of British subcultures has has been, and that was the sort of the time when youth youth cultures were really emerging in the UK. But I think what you're seeing, perhaps now, that's more exciting is the kind of global blend of cultures, mm. um, further afield. Would we blame the internet for that? Well, I think there's not there's much less time for kind of things to exist, exist below the surface, mm. which is kind of what's required of subcultures, you know. But I think there is still exciting new movements going on globally. It's not totally bland the cultures that we live in, but I think things come to the surface very quickly and they don't have much of a chance to kind of develop. 
Um, but I also think that there's just loads, things might have been, like you'll never get a movement like Northern Seoul yeah. that was so localised anymore. And um, then that's because of the internet. Yeah, I think it's just not possible because everything's so globally connected. But I do think I don't think it means that everything's so homogenised. I definitely think there are pockets of local. Yeah, exactly. And people, um, but people, I think for photographers as well, you don't have to. People put things out there so much themselves um, that it's sort of in a way it's easier in some ways to find stuff. I think um, in the 50s and 60s you got groupings of people that would come together to play records, hard to find records, yeah. like the mods and, you know, in the, the Northern Soul uh, crowd. Those records were not generally available. Well, nowadays everything's globally available all the time, isn't it? Immediately. Mm. You know, if you're a U2 fan, you don't even have to do anything. You get the U2 record that comes to you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> <laughs> um, so that's changed everything, I think. You know, in the in the days of the beatniks and the mods, and to some extent the hippies and um, the new romantics at Billy's, it was just people coming together to listen to music that wasn't maybe quite so available. Mm. And um, but now people can meet on online and they can have their groups, and they never have to leave their house. How has that changed the way you work? Um, well, it's certainly much easier that I don't have to spend half my life life in a dark room. Yeah, you know, and then the, would you develop I, yourself? I used to develop my black and white film myself, but then the other half of my life, half of that was taken up with hanging about waiting for clip tests and you know processed color film. So, you know, I was spending a lot of time when I wasn't actually taking photographs, just in the you know process of getting the stuff done. Um, Apart from that, I mean, I'm not out shooting in the streets or the clubs so much, but it is harder now because some people say to me, oh, I don't want these photos going on Facebook or Instagram. In fact, last summer I saw two middle-aged mods walking down Carnaby Street and they were wearing all the gear of Parker and the shoes, you know. And um, I thought for a moment that they might be the two that I photographed when they were in their early teens, very, only yards from there, both wearing parkers. So I asked them if I could photograph them, and they said, oh, no, we don't want to be photographed. But um, I managed to persuade them, but one of the things they said to me is, we don't want to go on Facebook or Instagram. Um, but the thing was, they were still prepared to get dressed up in this gear and walk up and down Carnaby Street, and no, they didn't have to. So they want to really. select groups to see them as opposed to a... The world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was saying, I don't know whether I said it to you, but, um, you know, I think that there are more mods around now mm. than there were in the 60s. But, yeah. you know, mostly in their 60s. <laughs> <laughs> or, or early 70s. Yeah. I guess this kind of ties quite nicely into um, the What We Wore project. Um, were you surprised? Tell us a little bit about it first, just because I didn't explain it. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's a people's history of British style. So it's uh, I spent uh, several years archiving people's own photographs of their youth style. Um, and uh, there's a book which came out at the end of 2014. Um, so I guess it, it's looking at, um, rather than photographers' visions of youth culture, it's people's own visions of youth culture before photography was and Instagram were so prevalent as they are now. 
Um, and um, the book is kind of organised into chapters, which look, it kind of looks at the relationship between social space and style and youth culture. Um, rather than being like a chronological, like this was a mob, this was a skinhead, it sort of looks at um, how physical space, clothing and style are related. And so I've got over like 3,000 images, people's own images, that could be like your mum, your gran, your cousin, images of them when they were... They've all been submitted by these people. Yeah, uh, a range of, you know, known people who've been significant in, in British youth culture and just everyday people. What, were you surprised by the response? Were you expect to be that kind of popular? Yeah, it, it was quite surprising, actually. I think people like nostalgia. I yeah. think that's the key thing. And, and people from across generations like nostalgia. And everyone can relate to that teenage expression of identity, which is it's kind of exciting when you're sort of establishing yourself for the first time um, and, you know, establishing your friends and your individuality through style. And, and it's all, again, it's connected to music. I think it still is quite connected to music, actually. Um, so it was... I think it was, the reason it was popular is because lots of people can relate to that on many different levels. Thanks to Derek Ridges and Nina Menander in conversation for the Blend Sessions with Shivas Regal Scotch Whiskey. You can find out more about Shivas Regal Whiskey at shivas.com. From me, Teo van den Bruke, goodbye. <laughs>